Welcome to the Canadian Real Estate Investor, where hosts Daniel Foch and Nick Hill navigate the market and provide the tools and insights to build your real estate portfolio. Welcome back to the Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast, and thank you for making us Canada's number one real estate podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about immigration, population growth, and more specifically, a report from Desjardins that talks about how we're likely going to see a drop in non-permanent residents, as well as a few articles about people leaving Canada or immigrants struggling once they've arrived here. Yeah, great topics. But before we get into it, uh, we want to just ask a small favor. We put a lot of time and energy into making this podcast and honestly we both love doing it but if you ever feel compelled to support us we have a few ways that you can do that and dan what are those first you can subscribe to our newsletter on substack it's a more visual version of what we do here Um, we reference it quite a bit it's linked in the show notes any other ideas nick yeah uh secondly you can sponsor or host a meetup or come out to one of the 15 meetups we have across the country again which is linked in the show notes we have 15 now Uh, i'm hoping to have every major city in the country hopefully by the end of this year that'd be great your goals are always more ambitious than mine. But, um, <laughs> we even each other out. There that would be great. I yeah. agree with you. Whether or not it's achievable, who knows? So those meetups are the second Tuesday of every month in cities across Canada. If you're a realtor or a mortgage broker who wants to sponsor us or host one of those, we're making that possible in 2024. So let us know. What else could I do if I wanted to support your podcast, Nick? Oh, that is a great question, Dan. Thank you for asking. Uh, you could post a link to your favorite episode on Facebook, or if you're a professional, you could do that on LinkedIn or Instagram, Twitter, WeChat. I know, Dan, you're still a big MySpace guy. You can catch me on MSN. How do you know I was a MySpace guy? (laughs) Taking selfies in my sink. It's actually come up on the show before that you were a big MySpace guy. So uh, yeah, if you're still on MySpace, you know, go share your podcast there uh, or literally wherever you prefer. Yeah, to quote the great Shakira, whenever, wherever. (laughs) Another thing you can do whenever, wherever, is leave us a five-star review. It's right in the podcast platform. Actually, I don't think you're able to do it on Spotify, but if you do listen on Apple- You can leave a five-star review on Spotify, but just not a typed You can leave a five-star rating, not not write a review. Yeah, so uh, hey, we'll take ratings or reviews- uh, we're suckers helps. for both. Yeah. Yeah. It's giving seasons over. So we can't just like ask people for to give yeah. us Christmas presents anymore. So we have to, we have to rationalize it a little bit. Exactly. Dan, any other final ideas before we get into the show? Yeah. If you're looking to really take things to the next level, uh, you could check out our course at realist.ca and that's linked in the show notes as well. We have a lot of listeners who are part of that community. Everyone's learning, growing, becoming better real estate investors. If you need an accountability system, if you need kind of more one-on-one group coaching, group setting, it's a great place to be. So I love it there. Yeah, me too. Uh, Okay. Enough of that. Back to the show. My name is Nick Hill. And I'm Dan Foch. Wow, just just Dan now. We're not we're not doing Daniel anymore. I really like that two syllable name thing you've got going on. Okay, so. wow, so you're, you're copying me here. I'm flattered. I guess Nick and Dan is is a little it's a little easier. Rolls off the tongue for sure. Yeah. Well, it's just like it's uh, it's efficient and pragmatic, right? Well, it's one less syllable for people to say. <laughs> I appreciate so. that. 
Um, so today we're going to be talking about a trend that's gaining momentum, which is Canadians leaving their urban lives for more affordable and possibly more glamorous living overseas. Glamorous. Interesting. That's right, Dan. And uh, we've got an incredible story here about... Now, bear with me as I pronounce these names, because this is not as one syllable, Nick and Dan. Slaco Waschuk and Pedro Jose Marcellino, I think. If you're listening, we'll give it to you. Slaco and, and Pedro, I, I, I do apologize. I'm doing my best here. These two left Toronto for beautiful, sunny Portugal, trading their $2,200 a month apartment for a literal mansion. This all comes from an article entitled, All I'm Doing is Working and Paying Bills. Why Some People Are Leaving Canada for More Affordable Countries. I will say that it is definitely the Canadian way to be just working and paying bills. Like that's sounds familiar. Sounds sounds like something I've been doing lately. Yep. So so they're not alone. We're seeing a significant number of Canadians moving abroad for better living standards and believe it or not, cheaper housing. Shocking. Yeah. So if we're usually talking about, and, and I think it's, I think a lot of, um, professionals in the real estate space is like, they go to one or two things, right? It's like immigration, like population growth, there's more people than houses, you know? So if that's your bull case, right. Is this kind of emigration that we're seeing actually the bear case, right? Mm. Cause they talk about how, we're seeing a record level of emigration. It's only like 35,000 people left the country. Right. Still, like, now, M being people coming in, M, migration being people leaving the country. Right. And I'll, and I'll actually I'll be honest here. I don't think it is a bear case. Like, I don't think, like, Agreed. everyone's always yeah. like, everyone's just sitting around. We just love to complain. Like, we're just not, like, it's, even, it's and the I'm, winter here in Canada. What yeah. else do we have to do? And yeah, it's true. But I, like, I do it. Like, everybody knows that. I do it a lot. We've been known to complain yeah. once or twice. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, um, <laughs> The reality is, like, I, I'm not leaving, right? And, you know, I, 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 I want would, to quote Wolf of Wall Street here where yeah. I'm not leaving. Yeah, exactly. No, but, <laughs> and, uh, and, and I do think that we are going through a dark time right now mm. for as a country. And I think that we're going to emerge victorious and rebuild everything. And I think that you kind of got to burn it down a little bit, like a phoenix so you can rise from the ashes. Yes. Well, let's look at history. What happened after the dark ages, right? right. That's when we went into the Renaissance. Right. And uh, I didn't you know, know that. But. This might be our our little time to do that same thing. That's so cool, man. We can just get up there and paint some naked people on some churches uh, and whatever. <laughs> That's when that happened, right? The Renaissance? That is. That That's, is exactly yeah. when they're having lots of naked yeah. people were painted back then. They painted naked people different back then than, I, than they would now, I, I'd assume. But we are getting drastically off topic. Yeah, we are. For sure. That's the probably the furthest off topic. talked we've about gone. naked people on the show ever before. So... Anyways, let's talk about some people that have clothes on and that are doing some cool things. So let's dive back into Slaco and Pedro's story here. These two were inspired by, of all things, TikTok videos, which usually on the show we say, you know, maybe don't get too inspired there by were TikTok some, videos. There were some f- far more catastrophic financial decisions that were inspired by TikTok videos yes. in the past five years, I would yes. say. Yes. This is not one of those cases. This is actually a well, who knows? in the rough. Remains well, to be seen. They're still early in the trade. Yes, exactly. So anyways, these two were inspired by TikTok videos showing the stark contrast between overpriced Toronto houses and European castles. 
So, of course, they're referring to Millennial Moron on TikTok, who is a friend of mine on social media. I, I call all these people my friends. I don't know if they actually think we're friends, I, but I, I think we're friends. I, I love using that line. Oh, yeah. Friend of the show yeah. essentially yeah. means that like they yeah. either they yeah. either like someone us, who knows we exist, someone they know we exist, or they or they haven't made it clear that they don't like us, yeah. which is good. <laughs> and he's a, he's a great commentator on the Canadian housing market. Honestly, one of my favorites. And. Yeah, I mean he's he's got a huge TikTok account. Yeah, I mean he's 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 hilarious. He's got I think like 160 plus thousand followers on TikTok, over 4 million uh likes and his bio reads, this is good. Canadian content for people who love to hate Canadian content. And that's just beautifully ironic right there. For I'm, sure. I'm here for it. So he does this amazing series called Canadian Real Estate versus Literal European Castles, which I've become a fan of uh, lately, but also a long time ago, but especially lately because as people who have been listening to the show know, I've, I've been going through a bit of a liquidation lately and I've been looking to diversify into maybe getting a getaway in Costa Rica. I'm going there for the first time in a couple of weeks. And, uh, so that I can use that to kind of like cash flow as an Airbnb. And yes, because I know how many of you messaged Jordan Scrinko when he said he was doing a deal in Costa Rica, <laughs> I would be willing to take on partners because I know we're going to get emails about it. And I'm, I'm, I'm assuming I'm automatically included yeah, in, in that partnership. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, good, sure. good. So wait, are you, so you're not going the European castle route, Dan, you're going the Costa Rican route, which I guess to is be fair, good. like I'm very fortunate in such that my family already has exposure to real estate in Europe in a really nice place that looks like a fairy tale village. And so I wouldn't need to, to get, but I did always think about having my wedding at like a castle, like small wedding, rent out a castle in like France that or would something. Be cool. Wow. You just really, yeah. every young boy grows up dreaming of their fairy tale wedding. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I guess I watched too much Disney, but you know, like just, <laughs> rent out a castle have everybody come and stay and just hang Be out awesome. just get married at some point but anyway yeah. and one of my buddies is actually doing that now which is pretty cool so anyway so so yeah let's get into these yeah yeah we'll we'll get to some examples so these the the castles he does if you go in and i suggest go watch millennial morons tiktoks if you're not on he's TikTok, coming on the show by the way i already he's gonna come he'll on. be on We're the show in the next it. couple of weeks yeah probably long overdue uh he also posts a lot of these videos on instagram so if you don't have tiktok go check him out there he doesn't know that we're repping him and pumping his tires hard right now so uh i did is, mention to him that we would be dis we'd be oh he did okay okay nice today, so yeah. So he, in, I guess, a more recent video, uh, compares a six-bed, six-bath house in Vancouver that was built in 1951, which sold for $6 million in 2016. What the heck yeah, is maybe, going on? Maybe That one's maybe a bad comparison, cause, but it is the most recent one. But, uh, but so, yeah, maybe not, maybe not the best example, because it's easy. Like, you could pick, if you pick picking a $6 million Vancouver house, it's like you could find a lot of places we've done extravagant around the world. For yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, Vancouver is just a bit of a bad example. Anyways, because... Everything there costs multi-millions of dollars. But maybe, maybe, but he says that you can do a castle in Switzerland built in 1905 with six bedrooms and 16 rooms. So 7,000 square feet. So, so in Switzerland, is like the Vancouver of Canada anyways, like skiing and stuff. And uh, Yeah, I think the skiing in Switzerland is a little better than the Swiss Alps might beat Whistler, even though I we actually, do love Whistler. It's, it's, you know, it's a really good comparison like it's different <laughs> the alps are just like they were made for skiing they're these big like grass yeah. fields in the mountains right 
Are you going to start doing uh, ski resort comparisons? Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Like, you know, actually, I, I've talked about this stuff a long time ago. And it's not to say, like, I, I don't ever want to get on that, like, oh, I started the because, like, I didn't. But, um, you know, a lot of people are with the Pierre, how Pierre Polyevra did the thing about um, Niagara, uh, Ontario and Niagara, the U.S. Yeah. And then, and th- that he t- took it from sh- this guy Shazzy on Twitter. But I posted, myself and Stephen Pomwasi were posting that comparison five years ago yeah. right? Steven and I took it from Steven right so it's like there's no such thing as an original idea but any, anyway no I'm not going to start comparing ski <laughs> by the way but so, so anyway it is expensive uh, Switzerland is expensive as well so it's not like saying it's not like the rest of the the castles like the Swiss one's different it's an outlier because it's, it's it's very expensive not like the other ones where they're from like France or Italy why do you say Italy like that? What do you have against Italy? You Swiss people are... You've always thought you're better than us Italians, haven't you? <laughs> do you know what? It is funny. Like, I've spent enough time in Switzerland to know that, like, everybody in Europe <laughs> has some sort of comment about their neighboring country. And everybody's like, no, no... Like, people are like, avoid the people with the Italian plates on the cars at most <laughs> of the time, I find, right? So, yeah. Anyway, speaking of Italy, he does one in Ottawa. It's a two-bed, two-bathroom house for one point three two million and he compares that to a beautiful italian castle for nine hundred thousand euro uh with 25 rooms eight bedrooms 12 bathrooms dan 12 yeah now in canadian real estate versus literal european castles part 23 yes he's done quite a few of these at this point Oakville, Ontario house on Burnham Thorpe for $2.4 million. But if you need to save some money, you could buy a castle restored in 2015 in France for 1.35 million euros. Oh man. So you might be wondering why we're talking about this. So let's circle back to our friends Slaco and pedro from the original article that we were talking yeah, about. yeah so Slaco, a pharmacist and pedro moved to vienna do castello district purchasing a mansion for about 1.05 million a price you'd struggle to find for a family home in toronto and this isn't just any house okay they're talking about lower living costs across the board better food prices, better cell service. They're even eyeing a hefty grant for restoring this beautiful historic property. Yeah, it's a bold move, Nick. And um, they're not just chasing a dream home. They're setting up a cultural hub, a guest house. It's a complete lifestyle overhaul. It sounds really cool. And, and you know, it's not just about the finances, I guess, when you're doing something like this. Slaco mentioned looking forward to setting different priorities and again not just quote-unquote working and paying bills which seems to be the unfortunate reality of a lot of fellow canadians at this point yeah i've been worried about this for a while and and i've been watching i mean we talk about immigration a lot on the show and we mentioned it earlier in the show how we feel that a lot of people talk about it as if it's the bull case for canadian real estate and it probably is a big part of it. But things like this make me wonder whether or not we can sustain those record levels of immigration that we've been seeing. Yeah, for sure. And remember, we were talking about where 
population growth is most pronounced, where it outpaces, and this is very important, where it outpaces new construction, which is hint, hint, just about everywhere, but a lot worse in some in some areas. So for example, the national average population growth ratio to new homes being built is 4.7. But in New Brunswick, it's 11.3. In Newfoundland, it's 9.7. In Saskatchewan, it's 8.8. So magnitude matters as well. Dan, do we want to pause here and and just kind of reiterate what what these mean specifically? Because this is a very important piece. And I know we did a full episode on this, but let's just do a little reminder here. Yeah, so this is the ratio. Actually, you know what? I have the chart at the end of the episode, but it's the ratio of, of people moving to a province to the ratio to the number of homes that are being built in that province. So when we say 11.3, what does that mean? 11.3 new people are moving to New Brunswick for every one home that's being built. So, so unless that's so good. <laughs> unless, unless all of those people moving there are going 11 people to a house, then they have a problem brewing. I mean, hey, listen, you and I both were in university and had roommates at one point point i think never had, 11 no i had yeah. i had we were six guys living in they a five room slum, house uh, they had the odd slumber party after yeah a, a bit of a, 11's pushing it i think yeah yeah so what happens when population growth outpaces infrastructure like housing or healthcare or jobs you know transit you're hearing about buses being rammed um all oh, of these different have you things. seen the pictures of the ttc recently right. it's like it's so you ridiculous. start yeah so you start to get headlines like this one it says they came to canada for their dreams instead they found a mental health nightmare cbc news <laughs> lovely now the article you just mentioned discusses the mental health challenges faced by immigrants in canada highlighting the stress of adjusting to a new country and the gap between expectations and reality. It mentions the impact of the acculturation process on mental health and the difficulties immigrants face in finding suitable jobs. The article emphasizes the importance of studying and addressing the mental health needs of newcomers to ensure their well-being and successful integration into Canadian society. I mean, that that's kind of heartbreaking to hear, right? Like that that's not good. Yeah, there's a quote from the article that's like something like, over time, uh, all of our like sadness gradually becomes comparable to the average Canadian's <laughs> sadness. I was like, I read that. I was like, oh man, like that's just like, is that where we are? But anyway, oh. yeah, I'll, I'll find the quote while, while you're you know, speaking don't next bother. It says, don't but it says bother. I'm going to, because it's such a, I'm like, just like, wow, that's such a good way of saying it. But it's not exactly the Canadian dream anymore, is it? Not not the Canadian dream I remember or that I was brought up. And so what becomes the consequences of, of all this? Like what happens? Yeah. So we mentioned earlier in the episode, Desjardins some summarized it. Wow. There we go. I can't, can't even say the word summer because it's so wintry. It's, oh, it's cold. <laughs> Desjardins winterized it? Yeah, no, that they, doesn't make sense. They summarized it well in their most recent economic viewpoint. How much will Canada's population grow? Nobody knows, but we can predict where it goes. I think they were trying to rhyme there. It was very Dr. Seuss of them. <laughs> Desjardins, stick to uh, banking. We'll leave the rhyming for, for us here. Uh, from the highlights of the article, the population, or sorry, from the highlights from uh, Desjardins here, the population projection is foundational to Canada's economic outlook as it's made up of the consumers and the workers who will drive future economic activity 
and government revenues. Once taken for granted, the population growth forecast is now more uncertain than ever. So they go on to say that Canada's population has surged recently, largely driven by a sharp increase in net permanent residents, which we know, such as temporary foreign workers and foreign students. Assuming future immigration is in line with federal government plans, NPRs will be the primary driver of population growth moving forward. And and we've seen that in the, if you look at the lines, the immigration line, so people who are coming here with permanent residence, PR has basically flatlined, so it's not mm-hmm. growing anymore, but NPR is going up. And this is why you're seeing most of the pressure happening on rents. So rents are still climbing like crazy because People who are not permanent residents are banned from buying houses. Yeah, so they it's have two rent. years, yeah. right? They can't yeah. buy for two years. So what do they do? They they, they rent, rent. Right. right? And yeah, so so the forecast for working age population—that's people fifteen and over—that was used in the recent economic and financial outlook is roughly consistent with the projection through twenty twenty five in the Bank of Canada's. October 2023 monetary policy report, it suggests that working age population growth could average about 1.8% annually from 2023 through to 2028. And over the same period, we expect real and trend or potential GDP growth to average 1.5 and 1.7% respectively. So looking at alternative scenarios for NPR admissions, closing the door to temporary newcomers could deepen the recession expected in 2024 and blunt the subsequent recovery, which they show in a graph, uh, the first graph in the report. They say it would similarly lower potential GDP. Our provincial analysis came to a similar conclusion, they say. So materially increasing the pace of NPR admissions would likely raise real GDP growth to the point of possibly preventing a recession in the near term and improving long-run economic outcomes. The Desjardins report goes on to say that while the pace of non-permanent resident admissions should slow naturally with the economy, changes in the federal government policy could cause them to fall even faster. A sharp drop-off could deepen the recession expected in early 2024. So, For you listening, that's right around the corner. As such, caution is warranted on the part of policymakers to minimize the economic downside of slowing newcomer arrivals too quickly. But it's not as easy to strike that balance as sustained high NPR admissions could further strain provincial finances and housing affordability. So for me, this there seems to be a bit of a trend here, Dan, and and Correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like policymakers here, whether it be GOC or BOC, have been doing things a little faster than than they should. Does that sound about right? Or is that is that am I just thinking interest rate hikes and, and immigration? Two pretty big things that affect the economy here. Yeah, it's it's tough to say. I guess time will tell, right? You never know. Like I think they're kind of forced to overshoot on the rate side of things because you only start cutting when or sorry, you only start increasing when you're already too, you already have a problem, Mm -hmm. right? And then you only start cutting when you already have a problem. Like everything's very reactionary. And I think it's going to be the same way on, on this. I think so. So you end up, I I don't know why, like you would hope that they are, can be anticipatory with policy, but I think what happens, like you end up with this thing called the pivot paradox. If we're talking just rates where like, and you're going to see it in the spring market this year, watch when the central bank signals that they might pivot people 
just freaking go nuts. And you know what I mean? Like you hear realtors talking about it all, all over TikTok now. Rates are coming down. At, like I was posting charts where it's like vo- we probably just hit the volume bottom, and people are like, "Price bottoms in." I'm Boom, like, "Bottoms in." It's I was only like, up from here. No. <laughs> Guys, that's not what I mean. I like Please. have to put in all caps now, yeah. like not price. So <laughs> I just like, so the pivot paradox is you, you tell people you're going to pivot and then they behave like you're going to pivot. And then that exacerbates the problem, which is the economy's running too hard. It's too yeah. inflationary. And so I don't know. I'm just glad I'm not a central banker or a policymaker, honestly, at this point. Just a simple podcaster yeah, here. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I mean, the soft landing thing, it would be, you know, that would that would be what you're trying to do with being anticipatory is like mm-hmm. cutting before the recession. We're already in a recession, right? Yeah. Like they, they can revise us out as many times as they want. Like we're Change just going to keep definition hitting. Yeah. yeah. We're just going to keep hitting. Well, no, they actually just like revise. So we had three quarters of negative GDP yeah. growth or we just had our third. And then they took the first one and said, Oh no, that one didn't actually <laughs> like anyway. So, so anyway, so the question I'm trying to figure out now is, is this tapped out, right? And this comes from my sub stack, which I'm actually just going to, I think we're just going to roll it into the the newsletter, to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to put all of our efforts yeah. into- Just like, well, we just want to deliver, like we, we want to be in your inbox, realistically. Yeah. That's what we want. That's Let like, you know, yes. yeah. We just- uh, and, <laughs> But as you were saying, it's a really good visual companion oh, yeah. to, to what we're doing here. Yeah. Right? And like, we want to try and like our, our goal here- we've already built a big enough platform. Like I really feel that way. I obviously want to keep growing it. Like it's a business, you know, we make money from it. We, yeah. help, but we, but like for me, it's, we, I want to create as much value as I can now. Yeah. Like I'm, and so how do I do that? I think creating visuals, like a visual companion for this in the form of a newsletter and then eventually videos, I think is really going to be. And so we've been playing around with the videos for those of you who like for the 50 people who watch them on YouTube. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Um, yeah. But we'll start doing that a little bit more, I think, and trying to integrate like charts. We have like a three camera setup, but one of the cameras broke and that was the one that was supposed to show the charts. So whenever I get that from the manufacturer, here, yeah, yeah, like just full of, te- you know us, we're technical difficulties if, since if the beginning. Been, yeah. If you've been following Dan and I for a while, you know, we, we, we bootstrap a lot of stuff and uh we haven't stopped doing that even even with the no, growth and the we success can't. we've had we, we're still bootstrapping you, it over yeah, here i love it it's funny yeah you'd think you like eventually get to a point where you're like i should outsource this and find a qualified person to do it but no <laughs> no absolutely not not yet anyways back to <laughs> yeah back so, to, uh, yeah, so my question is here. like it really stands out to me like have we seen pr growth kind of like tapped out Right. And this could be from my perspective why there's an article that says Ottawa plans to create Canadian citizenship path for undocumented immigrants, according to the Globe and Mail. And so a lot of people like to mention how population growth is the bull case for Canadian real estate, but we're not seeing growth in permanent residents. And those are the ones who can actually able to buy homes. Remember, foreign buyers are banned for two years. So I think you can apply the same logic. But imagine since the vast majority of population growth is coming from non-permanent residents, all that growth is appearing in rents. And why does this matter? We, why do we talk about inv- uh, immigration so much? Well, eventually rent growth should materialize in price, price growth, not immediately, but eventually as rents are the income portion of a property valued through the income approach. How do we measure the income approach? The easiest way to compare the income approach and property side by side is cap rate. Cap rate is net operating income divided by a property value. So your rents going up is the income of your, of your properties going up. And so if cap rate doesn't change, which they're honestly not changing, we're going to get to why in a second, because you know I love to talk about MLI Select. We love it. Yeah. <laughs> but if cap, rates are, if cap rates remain unchanged and income goes up, the value of those properties will go up. Exactly. Yeah. So, so let's talk about that, Dan. So if cap rates are able to stay the same, investment property valuations should therefore increase accordingly 
with that growth that's experienced in that net operating income, your NOI. And honestly, it seems that the most recent injection of capital into CMHC's MLI Select program, where we saw another $20 billion in, in mortgage-backed securities that, that have been specifically designated for that program. They've done a pretty good job at setting the uh, setting a floor on multifamily valuations, given that these mortgages provide up to, again, sexy stuff like 95% loan to values and up to 50-year amortization periods if you hit your 100 points. Again, we did a full episode on this. It's I believe it's called How to Get 95% Loan to Value. I will probably do for another MLI Select episode, Dan. Yeah, for sure. Well, and it's funny, like, with all due respect, like more, I know a lot of mortgage brokers. I'm like the one, you know. You do? What the heck? I thought <laughs> yeah, I was the only yeah, one. Yeah, I know. I know. Sorry, <laughs> man. They, like the most of the volume in the market right now is coming from this stuff. Oh, like on for, the commercial. Like if you're sure. if you're working yeah. at a commercial mortgage brokerage, like you're either doing inventory loans on yeah. product that can't move, or you're doing MLI select. Yeah. Or maybe there's some industrial guys that are doing like BDC. Well, I was gonna say the other thing. Or yeah. Yeah. But that's that's a bit of a different product, right? I mean, the MLI stuff is... Anyways, new episode coming out on MLI Select stuff in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, well... We're yeah. doing a ton of work on it at, at Land Bank. We're, we're, we're both and, partners. And honestly, like I did a call for the course yesterday. So uh, as part of the realist.ca course, we do uh, Q&As on a regular basis. And I, like I'm talking to people who are on their first, second, third investment and saying... You know, and they're they're seeing the product and they're saying, Well, why would I go buy a duplex with I have let's say I have a hundred grand, why would I go buy a five hundred thousand dollar duplex when with the same cash injection I can buy a sixplex and you know and create more affordable housing, get a better product because in order to buy that sixplex I have to improve the you know the thermal quality and all of the fixtures mm-hmm. and the furnace and what make it way more efficient and whatever. And so it's a like it's not just a product that is accessible for big builders, and you're going to get to it because the language that they use on the on the government yeah. website is is like says it all from my perspective. But like this is this is the real thing right now. Like this is when you talk about Renaissance, this like, is it. This is the Renaissance period for Canadian re- yeah. real estate right it's now. It's Da Vinci's notebook right here. That's yeah, a little bit much. But was Da Vinci part of the Renaissance? Painting well, naked people all over he? some pe- castle? I don't know, man. I, just, I thought I all the ninja did not pay were. I don't know. Yeah, no, sorry, <laughs> sorry, my history teachers. So remember, uh, well, I just mentioned, and and we did a full episode on this uh, again a while back, and I think it's come up in some of the news articles, and we've created short form content as well because this was a big deal. The government unlocked twenty billion dollars in new financing, and that was supposed to help build thirty thousand more apartments per year, and that was all MLI select financing. So this is a direct quote from the Government of Canada's website. To ensure builders have the low-cost financing required to build more rental projects, the government is increasing the Canada mortgage bond issuance limit by $20 billion per year, designating the increased amount for funding mortgage loans on multi-unit rental projects that are insured by CMHC. Eligible rental projects must have at least five rental units and can include apartment buildings, student housing, and senior residents. Yes, you heard that correctly. The government wants investors to create housing. Am I reading that correctly? 
Just wait. <laughs> they also want them to have the cheapest financing in the country to, to create that house. That sounds so, too good to be true. Yeah, and, and this is really why we haven't seen cap rates break back into their typical channel, which is if you look at... So I'm looking at a chart right now, if and you can find this in the Collier's cap rate report from Q1 of 2023. They, they show basically cap rates over the Canada 10-year bond yield. And you would use a 10-year duration bond yield as a baseline because real estate's more of a long-term asset. You're probably going to hold it for 10 years minimum. It tip, so these cap rates typically are 400 to 600 basis points above the Canada 10-year bond yield. They don't depend on those bonds, but they depend on Canada's discounted MBS program and a very unique credit product. Any correction that should have appeared in pricing has basically been pushed out and de-risked by owners into massive amortization. So cap rates are staying tight. Like they're only 268 basis points above. So the national average cap rate is 268 basis points above the Canada 10-year bond yield. For comparison, in 2020, it was 487 basis points above. In 2015, it was 463 basis points above. And in 2008, it was 435 basis points above the Canada 10-year bond yield. So the cap rates are the tightest historically the tightest they have been mm-hmm. ever and they're staying there and this is from my perspective this is why yeah so let's add some context to that so how unusual are canada's recent year over year population growth statistics now the chart that dan and i are looking at here which is uh, shows the fastest growing populations in the world and we'll read some of them out to you here the chart shows the rate of change or essentially the speed of change relative to our G7 peers and, of course, our neighbors to the south and the African continent. One thing that is obviously not like the other. So, Dan, let's talk about this chart here. Yeah. So, just how fast is Canada's population growth? Well, let's look at a list of the fastest growing populations in the world. So number one, you have Syria at 6.39% per year. Second, you have South Sudan. Sorry, lots of S's there. South Sudan is second at 4.78%. Then you have Niger at 3.66%. Burundi at 3.59%. Equatorial Guinea at 3.36%. Canada at 3.34%. Benin at 3.31%. Uganda at 3.22%. Congo at 3.3%. Chad at 3.13%. Those one, are your fastest growing populations in the world. One of those things is not like the others, right. I think. Right. right. And so and so this is like it's just where it's how do you forecast for something that's such an outlier on a global Yeah. Like you can't we're when you talk about unprecedented, I think we we just did a recording we were talking about unprecedented use of the word unprecedented yeah. during the pandemic and whatever and <laughs> This is like this is more unprecedented, this is unprecedented. than like we're so, gonna bring so, that word back. So, yeah. So how do you how do you really forecast? How do you make investments based on something that is like we're growing as fast as countries that are in emerging markets that don't have nearly like they're not developed countries like ours. So how do you how do you yeah. make the gap? Like you you can you can usually see what that path will look like in Equatorial Guinea or Uganda. You know where they're we saw these these growth trajectories take place in other emerging markets like China and India over the past, right? When their yeah, populations the were growing that quickly. 30, 40 years ago, right? I mean, essentially that that was like China's industrial revolution right. 30, 40 years ago, right. right? So we're seeing a lot of these countries in the African continent 
get to that point where they're going through the industrial revolution, something that we experienced here in North America, you know, well over a century ago, but somehow Canada's on this list with, with the rest of them, right? Doesn't, doesn't really make sense. Yeah. So I, I'm very interested to see how this all takes shape. So let's talk about the way forward. So there seems to be a bit of a consensus forming that slowing or capping international student growth at, at a minimum in line with Canada's capacity to comfortably accommodate those students makes perfect sense. In fact, three in four Canadians say higher immigration is worsening the housing crisis. Uh, addressing Canada's housing crisis is imperative and careful considerations of the facts by policymakers is crucial at this juncture. And boy, would actions speak louder than words right now. And from my perspective, <laughs> policymakers seem to be ignoring this. And, and I think it's kind of coming out why, like, you know, there was like, and then some people like to get conspiratorial about this stuff, but I think like there's that century initiative where Canada needs to have like a hundred million people by 2100 that came from like a McKinsey report, mm. which was among the 40 billion they spent on consultants last year oh, and whatever. Yes, and yes. yeah, we're in the wrong business. I guess but we got to start a consulting thing. But anyway, you know, everybody's talking about like, we have to grow the population. We know that we're in a very similar situation to a lot of these other aging economies where you know, you need you have a replacement rate that you need to prop up the pension system a little bit. You we need people to to serve the older the aging population, but that's your demand curve and the supply side. Everybody was like, and the government right now is going after the supply side, but the demand curve is a lot easier of a fix here from my perspective than the supply side, which is you know, hey, just maybe should we not let in one point four million people per year like let's you know let's figure out a number that makes sense because yeah. i'm understanding that we need the growth but like is are there consequences to and it seems like there are based on what we were just discussing in, in this episode. well uh, for sure i mean f a few things there first of all actions always speak louder than words in my opinion most politicians would likely disagree with me there but that's okay you know just to my earlier comment you know i feel like some policymakers have have really done things very quickly this seems to be one of those things Right. Like let's let's allow, you know, one one and a half million people in and then realize that maybe we should have had a plan to do that for. I mean, that is an insane amount of people to let in with with no plan. Right. I mean, again, we can go back to that that party metaphor. Right. It's like, you know, uh, what was that movie that came out years ago? We get it. Your party sucked. The Australian. You too many people. <laughs> yeah. You have no chips. Yeah. Not even that. But like, but like if you if you invite, you know, if you if you've got a, a, a one bedroom condo and you invite a thousand people over, where is every people aren't even going to get in the door. Right. So anyways, enough bad analogies. Let's talk about one of my favorite things, an investment thesis. So one of my thoughts around this is that a lot of people dismiss magnitude when they evaluate population growth in areas they're thinking about investing. For those who believe that excess demand is the driving bull case for Canadian real estate, it would be worthwhile to examine where in Canada the excess demand is most pronounced. Well, most of the immigration ends up in the GTA, of course. I literally just made a video on that this morning that says over half of the Canadian population literally lives along the 401 corridor, the beautiful, beautiful 401. Great, great highway. Great highway, one of the best. So on a percentage basis, many of these areas are growing faster, especially now this is where it gets really interesting relative to their housing supply growth. 
Yeah, so Fraser Institute recently did a report on this, and we did an episode about this a while ago when this report came out, but just as a recap. So I'm just going to read the annual ratio of population growth to housing completion in the provinces, and I'm just going to read the 2022 numbers. So Newfoundland and Labrador had 9.7 people for every new house that was being built. Prince Edward Island had 5.1 people for every new house that was being built. Nova Scotia had 7.7 people for every new house that was being built. New Brunswick had 11.3 people move to the province for every new house that was being built. Crazy. Quebec had 2.8 people for every new house that was being built. Ontario had 5.5 People moved to the province for every new house that was being built. Manitoba, 4.6. Saskatchewan, 8.2. That's third in the country. Alberta, 6.2. And British Columbia, below the national average of 4.7. At 3.5 new residents moving to British Columbia for every house that's being built. So if I were to guess, I'm not a betting man, but if I was a betting man, I would say this is not a problem that's going to solve itself anytime soon. I, wait, problems don't, the budgets don't balance themselves, problems no. don't solve themselves? I don't know. I mean, I was I, lied to. I know, I know. I really thought, I really thought that was going to work. <laughs> I mean, do we, do we try to figure out a solution for it on, on, in the last couple of minutes here, Dan? Cause I, I, you know, the solution simply is in, in my, the solution's two factored. And this is, this is going to be as easy and as high level as I can make it in like 30 seconds. One, start to, figure out this this immigration problem because it is turning into a problem it's turning into a problem for for especially the immigrants that are coming in that are now being that were sold a false dream and they're coming here and and it, it's brutal you hear the stories you see the articles you know you see the lines for for minimum wage jobs like it this is not good for for anybody so curb that figure out a way to to slow that to a reasonable amount of growth while at the same time do everything you can to amp up the ability to build more homes, get rid of development charges, increase incentives, and release some crown land for developers to build on. Literally doing a simple, a few simple things like that, I think could actually make a big difference. Anyways, I will leave it there. Why don't you finish us off with, with some of your brilliant ideas? I mean, I think it's pretty much what we talk about on the show and this is what we're teaching people how to do every day in the course is becoming a citizen developer, taking a house and, that, yes. and turning, taking one unit and turning it into four units. I mean, right now we know that real GDP per capita in Canada is in decline. And so what that means is Canadians are getting poorer. And while that sounds bad and it is, the way that that'll materialize for, for most people is like the way that most people will see that and feel that is through shrinking household sizes. Yeah. Right. They're not going to see that their diet's not going to change. Right. <laughs> like really they're, man, new year yeah, me. they're going to get a small, their houses are going to get smaller and we have the highest third highest square footage per capita in the world. You're going to start to see that shrink and you're going to start to see household size increase the number of people per household. So our household size uh, has been shrinking from like 12 people per household on average 150 years ago to 2.6 people per household in present day. And that's well, going to- not New Brunswick. They're going back to 12 people yeah, per so, household so, apparently. Maybe in the next couple of years. But, you know, so so GDP per capita is in decline. Canadians are getting poorer. How does that materialize for the average Canadian? I think we're already seeing it. More yeah. people going getting packed into houses, household size shrinking, 
sorry, household size growing, square footage per capita shrinking. We end up like Europe in a renter's economy where every houses are a multi-generational asset. Mm. You get passed down generation to generation. You live with your parents longer. Your parents come move in with you when they're retired or, or you know, in their, rather than moving into a home or whatever. And that's where we're going. Like that's, and that's, and so you, you want to, if you want to be anticipatory on it, you can see it happening on policy. It's happening on policy already. Uh, the federal government is literally going around bribing municipalities into upzoning, yeah. and they're also giving the lowest. They said they literally says it on the website. We read the quote earlier in this episode. They're giving the lowest interest rates in the market to people who want to build five plus unit buildings. And if you are interested in learning more about those low interest rates or those super long amortization periods through MLI Select. Seriously, reach out to Dan and I. We are helping citizen builders and developers alike across the country. I think we've got several hundred units under construction, literally in in several different provinces that we are helping fund right now through this program. So, if you've yeah, got anything, to teach you how to do it. We'd yeah, if you've got anything you over a fiveplex, you know, we can go through what you need. It's it's uh, you know, you have a personal net worth statement, a couple documents, some construction drawings, and. Uh, and we can get you off to the races. So it's, if you have you know, something like that, yeah, it's so interesting out. too, right? Because we talked about this with with guys in the course yesterday on the on the call. It was like, you know, well, not like when you talk when you go from like a duplex, right? A duplex is like uh, you got two two units in a house, right? It's still a house. You go to like a fourplex, you know, when you're when they're still in a house, they're kind of like they can be a little weird for the average person, right? And so it starts to get a little bit scary. The only major structural difference I would say between a four unit building and up is sprinklers. That's what I said on the call yesterday, right? That's really the only major structural fire like, suppression. Yeah. Interesting. Right. Yeah. That, because once you get into a commercial building with so many Bu- building code requires, yeah. 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 To, so that, yeah, the fire gets suppressed immediately when, rather than people having to escape because you have more people to get out of the, out of the house. Yeah. So most people who are, who understand houses and the mechanical systems in a house and all of those things could own a fiveplex or a sixplex, but they don't necessarily have to. And the reason I say that is because you can still do this. You could do, you could get six units by having three duplexes side by side by side, right? Three lots with up, down bungalows on them would qualify as long as they're um, contiguous, three contiguous lots. And this is all available on the CMHC website, but you could have three lots side by side that each have a up down duplex on them. Yeah. And that would qualify for CMHC MLI select financing. Yeah. I mean, literally one of the ones that we were on a call with the other day, um, another one of the the partners at land bank and I, this one's cool. It's in the Yukon territories. That's Canada. That's still Canada. Yeah. And uh, shout out to, uh, to Simon, who I know is a listener to the show. And um, yeah, it's three, it's three, it's two units. uh, Sorry. Two separate buildings. Three units in each, six total, off to the races. For sure. Awesome. Okay, I had a ton of fun on this one, Dan. Appreciate it, as always. Hope everyone got a ton of value out of this. I know we did bring up naked people at one point. Let's forget about that. And That's remember, not that kind of renaissance period. And remember We're doing a different kind of renaissance period. Yeah, let's remember all the other value that we brought to this episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Reach out anytime. Thanks so much for listening. You know what? We have brought up naked people before on the show because what? when we're talking about the tide goes out, people swimming naked. Yes. Actually, so, you know, we've talked a lot okay. about nudity yeah. on this show then. Yeah. And we have to up our rating, PG-13. Yeah. <laughs> okay, see you later. The Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast is for entertainment purposes only, and it is not financial advice.
Nick Hill is a mortgage agent with Premier Mortgage Center and a partner in the G&H Mortgage Group. License number 10317, agent license M21004037. Daniel Foch is a real estate broker licensed with Rare Real Estate, a member of the Canadian Real Estate Association, the Toronto Real Estate Board, and the Ontario Real Estate Association.